Hello and welcome to the sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. And my guest is someone I've been dying to talk to. Uh, since I saw her swallowing sword on my TV screen, Crystal Curio, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so, like, I mean, I've seen sword swallowing, and, like, I think, you know, there's this. It's like you kind of think the sword, you know, it's those one of those swords that you push and then it goes in. Like, it, it yeah, right. yeah. And it wasn't until like years ago I saw where they had like an x ray kind of showing that the thing is actually going inside. And from that moment, yes. it's freaked me out because it just seems like <laughs> human beings should not be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> They shouldn't, but I think that's one of the things that's so cool about Sideshow is, you know, it's an entire art that's pretty much built off of that dissonance of, like, this shouldn't be happening, but it is. <laughs> so, um, like, how did you get into it? Uh, have you always wanted to be, like, a performer? Yeah, so I have been a performer since I was four years old. Mm. Um, it started with dance, and then when I was a teenager, I got into acting. I went to college for both of those things, mm. um, but I never dreamed, never dreamed. Like 10 years ago, if you'd asked me or what I thought I was going to be doing in 2021, never would have thought of this. Um, but what happened was I was in college studying dance and drama and I took a clown class to figure out how I was funny because mm. I was generally a dramatic actress mm. um, and I just fell in love with it so I joined a clown troupe right out of college and they encouraged me to take this class um, in Commedia dell'arte and one of the other students wait, wait, in that, that class what I is found out del Commedia dell'arte is a really cool art form. It is um, largely improvised street theater. Oh. Um, and it's where we get a lot of our um, archetypes in comedy. Mm. Um, it, and it's, it was originally from Italy. Um, so it's basically clowning, just like a very specific kind. And so I was taking this clown class. And I found out one of the other students in the class with me mm. was a sword swallower. So I thought about that for about, I think it was three months. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm a pretty shy person. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I worked up the uh, courage to find them on Facebook. And I sent him a message. I was like, Hi, I don't know if you remember me, but um, I think that what you do is really cool. And can you teach me how to swallow swords? <laughs> and he said yes. Okay. And it just snowballed. Yeah. What's the process of learning how to swallow a sword? Mm. So it is a very intense process. Mm. Essentially, what you're doing is you are attempting to swallow s seven times a day, but every time is three times, so 21 times a day. Um, and depending on who your mentor is, 
then you might be doing it a little differently. Some people say go straight to the sword. Oh, My mentor had me start with a wire hanger. And I don't mean the pointy, sharp, scratchy end. I mean, um, if, if you take the triangle and you pull it from the center of that bottom bar mm. straight down so that it makes like a very long U shape mm. similar to a blade, um, that's what I trained with. And it was very intense. You get no break days. Um, <laughs> and it was basically like wake up, swallow, eat, swallow, go to work, swallow, <laughs> take your break, swallow. You know, you get the picture. And then like um, how, how long will it take to put the hanger and then bring it out? And are you not gagging the entire time? Absolutely. I gagged a lot. <laughs> um it is not a pretty process. My roommate, actually, one of them had to leave the room every time I did it because <laughs> she just, like, she heard the sound and she wanted to be. Um, yeah, it's real cute. Um, see, those are the things. It's like people, uh, they kind of, like, fetishize swords swallowers especially women so it's like if you only knew how much grossness went into making this happen um but yeah it's it was there was a lot of like the first time i tried i remember very distinctly i took the wire hanger over my mouth touched it to the back of my throat just barely and literally the words out of my mouth yeah that's not happening <laughs> And then you, you, so how long did it take from doing the 21 times a day process to actually swallowing a sword? So I did that for a couple months um, before I even bought my first sword. Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, there was like a lot of anxiety around the first sword. It had to be like perfect and there was so much pressure after I had it, right? Mm -hmm. So, um... I I think it was probably about five months, um, and I had it down after two weeks, um, but I didn't get comfortable with it for a couple months. Oh, boy. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess, I mean, I think each time is like a different experience, but you've done it how many years now? This is my eighth year sword swallowing. So, like, can you just do it? You know what I mean? Like, you know, no, maybe, maybe yeah. like a little warm up, but like, you know, do it. Just get your sword and stick it in and that. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, and it's funny because normally I work so often that, like, I don't really have to think about it that much. And warming up always helps. I don't care what you're talking about, whether it's, writing or like playing a sport you know warming out up is always a good idea um but when i'm working that often absolutely i can just like toss one down pretty much at any point um and i can still do that now but because there's been like such a gap in work mm -hmm. um Sometimes I doubt myself a little more. <laughs> so I, tr I try to warm up these days. So, yeah, let, let's look about uh, Go Big because that's where I saw you. I'm like, 
the first act I saw was like you were you you put a nail up your nose and then you hammered it in, uh-huh. and like Snoop Dogg and Cody Rhodes, uh, everyone at Rosario they were just like cringing when you were doing that, and they were like, oh no 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 I'm not done, and then you put the sword in down your throat and then you had Cody take it out. Oh my god. It was a great performance though but you know it's kind of like i don't want to watch it but i have to watch it (laughs) right how did you get on go big that's i think a shared experience so yeah yeah so So, um, go big go big go big was uh kind of out of left field for me Mm. um i was in like majorly in a depression worst depression of my life like total fog um but i have one friend the amazing boobzilla um who they're one of those people who's just kind of like taps me every couple days like hey i'm thinking about you hey you're doing great um and one day uh they were like hey i just talked to a producer about this new show that's kind of like agt um you should text them and try to get in on it and so eventually I, I texted them. I'm, I was glad that sh- they said text because, like, calling is a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I texted them. We had a conversation, set up a, a Skype interview, and it went really well. And then I heard nothing for weeks. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I didn't get that. <laughs> um <laughs> But then, then I got a call. I was like, hey, they love you. They want to push you through to the next round. So, like, let's schedule another thing. And then there's a lot of back and forth. Like, hey, we need you to record this and email it to us. And um, that was great. But can you do it like this? And, mm-hmm. can like, if you have more, send that too. Um, mm-hmm. And then more silence. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember um, once it started seeming more like, it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I started getting really nervous um, because in the middle of a pandemic, I have like a contamination anxiety and this is, this is a lot of pressure. It's national television. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like starting to doubt myself um, and whether I should do this thing. Mm. And then they sent me the contract and it's 30 pages, very intimidating. Oh my God. Um, I had like, um, yeah, <laughs> I had a mentor and two lawyers look at some stuff that I wasn't super into. Um, and I actually said no. Oh, I turned them down. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the, I remember my producer, Shweta, who I love, um, she emailed me back and she was like, hey, what are your specific problems with the contract? I'd love to see if we can, like, work something out. And I didn't even respond. Wow. I was just like, <laughs> I resigned myself. Like, this isn't happening. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, and then the executive producer called me and he was like, hey, I just want to see if we can work something out. Like, I think you're going to be really great for the show. And they just upped the appearance fee. So, like, what can we do? And they they tweaked some stuff for me. Um, and I was like, okay, well, 
here we go. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was it was so unexpected, and I it, it was a really big part of I think my kind of ongoing healing process during this pandemic because losing your career and I think a lot of us talked about this in our like bio sections on go big is like we lost all of our work we lost our livelihood Mm -hmm. but we lost our careers like what we had built our lives on and around um and especially when you're an artist and your work is the thing that you love it's so intertwined with your identity Mm. um so you know being given this opportunity to do what i love safely um and with such a big audience, um, it was amazing. Uh, you mentioned safely. Uh, you know, I know there's <laughs> a lot of COVID protocols on shoots that are happening pretty much everywhere around the world. What were some of the things you experienced? And like, uh, you are you are able to stick a nail up your nose. So I'm guessing like the COVID thing was pretty easy for you. Oh yeah, COVID <laughs> tests are a breeze for me. Like, I can't tell you how much I wish that there was some way I could, like, make a business taking tests for people. (laughs) (laughs) It's a breeze. Um, So, uh, basically, the way they did everything for Go Big, um, before we even left, they had COVID tests sent to our Mm -hmm. homes. Uh, We had, like, a a video chat appointment with a nurse Mm. and they walked us through the process um once we tested negative we were cleared to travel Mm. uh they flew us on a non-stop from where we were to where they were um you know on the safest airline and um then we were part of the bubble so we quarantined for i think it was four days after we Mm. arrived and we had to test negative again twice and and after that we were officially in the bubble but they completely bought out this hotel for, i think it was actually like two and a half hotels wow. for us wow, wow. um yeah and uh basically they they shuttled us um from the hotel to the convention center every day mm-hmm. and they had these three zones a b and c all performers were part of A. Mm-hmm. Some of the crew that was like still working in the performance area, but mostly behind the camera, that was zone B. And um, then there was zone C. And A and C never came into contact. Um, I think it was C and maybe B um, were the only people who were allowed to leave the bubble at all. And that was only for like special approved production mm-hmm. reasons. Um, so we were like heavily protected and getting tested basically every other day is three days a week that's insane yeah yeah but again luckily for me like so what we uh call it what you're talking about is the human blockheads where we hammer a nail or other various objects into our nasal cavity um so covid tests are kind of a The hard part was waking up early to take them. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not a morning person, so I can sympathize with that. Um, so, you know, you got into the bubble. You you did the show. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You also had Cody Rhodes step on you. You know, yeah. this is it's like, you know, it's like... 
your mind kind of messes with you when you see this little dainty human being and like she's like yeah go ahead step on me I'm like are you sure and he's like 200 and something pounds and you're doing it on a bed of nails too it's like insane it was insane yeah yeah people um it's funny because like you know you always get those trolls <laughs> but um people were very fixated on my bed of nails and how dumb everyone was for thinking it was impressive excuse my cat's tail <laughs> um and like oh i did that at like the kitty museum it's not that hard it's just science and i mean that last one is hilarious because i mean literally everything is science right <laughs> um uh but especially bringing up like the, the kids museum if you look at those beds of nails like yeah they're real nails but they're very close together and basically you lay on them and they come up through like a plastic um layer like holes in plastic um so they like gently lift you up right um or the plastic goes down, I forget which. And it, it kind of tickles, cause, like I've done it too. But it doesn't, it doesn't hurt, they're very close together. So each nail is supporting a very small amount of weight. Mm. My butt of nails, those nails are much farther apart than at any of those science museums. Um, so each nail is supporting a larger amount of my weight. And, and you know, and then you when you stood up you could see the 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 marks on your back too yes absolutely and then you add like the 219 pounds of cody Rhodes. Yeah. oh my god oh my god <laughs> it's not easy it's not comfortable it is amazing these people are like it's not that impressive like those those nails like they were acting like the goal was to kill myself <laughs> or something like but see, that's the thing Wait. about the internet, right? People are just behind their computer yeah. screens typing away. Yes. And actually, you know what? Talking of like the internet and social media, you have a great following and you swallow swords. Like, do you ever get mm -hmm. weird uh, messages, especially from guys? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, all the time. <laughs> uh it's it's really it's quite appalling to uh see what people think is okay to say to perfect strangers um uh recently someone sent me a message that just said deep throat me um the wait, day wait, before that's that, all the person said <laughs> yeah that's all no yeah. not a question mark not a hi just deep throw me um and you know someone else is like i bet you give great head and it's like wh why just why so the the one who said deep throat me i actually ended up um having a conversation with him and this is something i do not normally do and i don't recommend anyone do on a regular basis it takes so much emotional labor so um Basically, what I ended up doing was I kind of took a, a survey, actually, of my friends, what they would respond, mm -hmm. um, and even not beyond my friends, like some of my followers. And after kind of thinking about it, 
and thinking of various options, I decided I was going to try to have a conversation, like a real one. Mm-hmm. So I, I just asked him, like, what was it that you were expecting as a response mm. to this, this statement, this command? Um, and it was interesting because he was like, honestly, I didn't expect you to respond. Um, and, and I figured that, you, you know, being a sword swallower and a woman, an attractive woman, like, you probably get stuff like this all the time. And, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal, which is crazy to me because it's like, you would think that if you thought something was happening to somebody that was inappropriate or might cause distress, you, you would think you wouldn't you would think the logic would be I'm not going to add to that not mm-hmm. because it's already there it's okay to add more yeah um but I guess that's just not the case um but we we had a conversation about it and uh you know he did the human thing and and got a little defensive and was like well you're a sword swallower so you're kind of asking for it was the implication um and eventually I got him to understand, like, when this stuff happens all the time, it is exhausting and aggravating. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm sure I didn't, like, magically fix him, <laughs> um, you know, he he had a small epiphany. And I do think that it was honest, like, the way it happened was, mm-hmm. um, I think, very real. And, and that's important to me. Um, you know, I saw he had a, a small child, a baby boy, mm. and it's like, I could respond, I could be mean, um, but that's only probably going to reinforce whatever he already has in his mm. head. But maybe if I just have this conversation, he'll pass something healthier along to his kid. Probably. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Um, but let's go back a beat though. You you do the clown class. You you do the hanger mm-hmm. down your throat, and then you start swallowing mm-hmm. swords. How did you go from that? Mm-hmm. Like, did you plan to go uh, start performing, or like, what was the plan exactly? I'm going to learn to swallow swords, and then what? Um. I didn't necessarily have something that was planned out. And this is also just kind of how I live my life is like, um, I find things that interest mm-hmm. me and I, I kind of like, I guess the easiest way to put it, um, be like, I, I just kind of like follow my heart or my instincts. So, um, I was drawn to sword swallowing. I was already a performer. Um, and I originally started combining it with my clown work. And the way that happened um, was honestly just by chance. Uh, I was watching a show around Halloween time. And I was standing outside. And the producer came out to smoke a cigarette. And we started talking. And he asked what I did. And so I told them, well, I'm a clown, dancer, actress, um, and I've learned how to swallow a sword. And he looks at me and he goes, because he had a sword swallower there that night as well. He's like, is your sword bigger than that guy's? And I said, yes. 
And he goes, do you want to work tomorrow? And I said, yes. <laughs> um, I had no act developed at this point. So I went home that night and, and less than 24 hours created, um, I think it was probably like a five to seven minute act that I still sometimes use today, oh, wow. um, even though it's evolved a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I remember that night, it was so crazy because like I got up there and I did this thing that I basically just like threw together and the crowd was going nuts over it. (laughs) And it was, you know, just this very rewarding moment of like, you don't suck. (laughs) Like you could actually do this. Um, yeah. So, so that's how I started. And in the beginning I was performing exclusively as my clown Winnie. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's a silent character and, um, there became a need because, um, so about a year after that first show, I got a call from my mentor saying like, Hey, our company freak show deluxe needs a sword swallower out in Denver for Halloween season, five week contract. Do you want me to put your name in? And at the time I was working at a factory, um, in the office and partially in the factory and, they really liked me, um, but it's not what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, hey, guys, I got this offer to take this contract, and I, I think I'm going to take it. So the boss, like, pulls me into his office, and he goes, hey, we're going to pay for part of your health insurance and also give you another raise. And mind you, at this point, they'd already given me four raises. So this is five. This is raise number That's five. That's insane. In that is insane. <laughs> right? That doesn't happen, especially in America. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, so they really wanted to keep me, and they were offering me something that was very secure. Um, and I said no. I said thank you, wow. but I have to go do this thing. So I quit my mm-hmm. job for a five-week contract. had no idea what I was going to do afterward, but I knew this was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I worked with one of the main people in the company um, in Freak Show Deluxe. She's our sergeant at arms, we call her, Miss um, Malice Aforethought. And one of the, there were three of us, and the other performer um, was texting me. I was the first one to arrive, but this other performer was texting me and scaring me basically being like oh alice is military and like she's so strict and like i just had this picture of like this mean human and i was like oh my god is she gonna make me make my bed and like you know as we're sharing a room um and she shows up and she is just the coolest person um and we we got so tight and she was like we have a lot of things in common we both grew up dancing and acting um and she asked me, like, what do you see yourself doing with your life? And for me, the thing, my only real goal is just, like, do what I love and be able to live comfortably off of it. Mm. And um, she was having a conversation with the owner of the company, Thomas. And she was like, she's great. I think we should, you know, I think we should keep her, oh. <laughs> essentially. Um so I've been with the company, I guess that's seven years now. Wow. Um, yeah, and I am currently the president of the Los Angeles chapter. Congratulations. Um, thank you. How long have you been not in that uh, position? So I, uh, oh, that's a great 
question. I want to say about three years, nice. maybe, maybe a little more. Um, but uh, yeah, so when when I started taking on more responsibility with the company, um, it was about the time that my mentor, who was the vice president at the time, uh, he retired, and he was our main talker. And remember, I'm a silent clown. I was just about to ask <laughs> um, what a talker is. Yeah, so talker is um, a person who I think most people, if you think of like Barker, it's it's kind of that. It's the the voice of the show, kind of the host that um, will often talk over other people's silent acts. So you know, to hype the audience up um, and kind of be that through line. Mm -hmm. um, so we lost him. There was another performer that wasn't a part of the company, but we hired often that we decided to cut ties with. So there was like this big gap, right? Like nobody's there to be the voice. Mm. Um, and I saw that need and I was like, okay, Crystal, this is the time. You, you gotta be you now. You gotta be you. And I mean, granted, like Crystal Curio is a little different from like me, Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, but you know it's just like it honestly in a weird way it was a much more vulnerable um way to perform than as my clown yeah, cause like, because the clown nose is just a very small mask right mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so now it's kind of like you being you well at least a version of you right yeah and and it opens you up to all sorts of um different kinds of criticism like clowns can be sloppy and messy and fail it's their job to fail if they're failing they're doing it right <laughs> but as a woman you know there's a lot of um there's certain expectations mm -hmm. right um you have to be pretty and graceful and la 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 <laughs> um so that gave me a lot of anxiety when I before when I thought about performing as like a human and not a mm -hmm. clown. Um, but as I've performed and grown as a performer and really grown into the Crystal Curio character, mm -hmm. um, I think I've found fun ways to kind of like take that expectation and turn it on people. Like, okay, I'll play your game. I'll be pretty. I'll be sparkly. But you know what? I'm gonna do some weird stuff. And you're gonna like yeah it. yeah that is exactly you know the vibe you uh that came through especially on go big because the next time i saw you you broke glasses and you're jumping on it and then you put your face yeah. in it oh my god why <laughs> <laughs> i mean everyone has to exfoliate right <laughs> Oh, so you've been with a, with the company for seven years now. Uh, well, COVID happened. How did that affect everything? Um. So, as soon as the safer at home order hit, uh, things were immediately canceled, and you know, at first. Um, it seemed like it was only going to be maybe a month. And then as we went mm -hmm. on, we knew it was going to be longer. So the things that were, we, we thought were sure, um, slowly started leaving as well. Um, so essentially there, there's no work. It's, 
it's like my career just almost doesn't exist. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, all the things that I have been able to do safely um, have been on film, okay. like Go Big Show, and then I did two smaller projects. Okay. Um, but it's like, even even when people do have parties, they're often not safe. So if they're looking for entertainment and they reach out to us, a lot of the times we have to turn it down because we have very strict COVID safety guidelines that we made for ourselves to protect not just us, but also our mm. guests, you know? Mm. Um, this thing is very insidious, and especially with all the mutations, like, even if you're vaccinated, it doesn't mean you're protected from everything. Um, but people are just, unfortunately, more concerned with having a oh good time. <laughs> like, yes. in Spilled October. Yeah. In October, I got a call to do, um, it was basically a reality show episode about an out-of-control house party. And we, I mean, granted, it was outside, mm -hmm. but it was this massive party um, with a bunch of people running around without masks Oh, on. God, no. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And, like, the last gig that I had to turn down, um, the person booking the event uh, when I asked, like, hey, what are your COVID safety precautions that are being put in place? Uh, she was like, I'm so tired of COVID. I'm so over it. I'm just like, okay, I get it. We're all tired. But, like, I right? Oh, my God. <laughs> How, no, no, no. You can't just make that decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I guess, like, do you do anything virtually? Yeah, so I, um, it's not really work, I mean, it's work to create for it, but, um, I try to do, on average, one virtual show every mm -hmm. month, um, this month I'm skipping, but, uh, you know, just as something to kind of look forward to and something to give myself some sort of structure, something to work toward. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're really fun. Um, everyone does them a little differently, but the company that I work with the most often, they have a really cool structure where basically like the, the show happens. It's usually a mixture of pre-recorded acts, which I prefer because I'm an artist and I'm weird about like, if you're watching me on a screen, I want you to see, the best. see something that is unique yeah. to watching me on a screen. Like I'm not going to copy paste my stage act mm -hmm. for you. That's boring. Um, uh, but some people do do live acts. And then the audience is in the chat, like, cheering and commenting. And then afterward, mm. we just have, like, a big Zoom party and hang out and talk, oh. which is really cool to, like, connect with the fans and my fellow performers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, earlier on I mentioned the thing about, you know, being you and being on Instagram and, you know, just social media, um, people like what that guy said uh but you're also mm -hmm. asian american right and yes um yes. you know recently there was this violence attack on uh just actually no you know just on the asian american community how yeah. how how i guess how was that experience for you it's been really hard um you know there's 
there's a lot of fetishization of Asian women specifically, um, who were, you know, the majority of the victims of this attack. And, um, that's most often the kind of racism that I encounter. Um, you know, just kind of being thingified and objectified as this exotic kind of being. Um, and I think especially, well, I don't want to say especially, but specifically with me, um, because I'm mixed, it's like, I'm Asian light. So it's like, um, you know, I'm Asian enough to be exotic, but I'm white enough to be like acceptable. (laughs) Um, and, and it's, um, it's not better than or worse than. I think it's just a different kind of messed up as people who are um, exoticized for being only Asian. Um, you know, people will, it's amazing. White men will brag about having yellow fever. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, you know, and very similar to conversation about coronavirus, it's like, I am not a disease, I am not a virus, like, I'm a human. So, no, you don't have yellow fever, you're a white wolf, you are a predator. Um, But watching something like this happen, um, it gives you a certain kind of grief. Um, You don't know these people, you don't know their families but you know people like them, you know that they're part of your community. Um, and every day I, th- I think of something a little different, maybe a little deeper. Um, like, you know, the first day I think it was just shocking. Like I was just absorbing the fact that this happened mm. and this was happening um, because Racism, racism against Asian Americans, I think, is one of the most covered up forms um, because we are light skinned often. Um, and there is this model minority myth, right? Um, where we're kind of elevated in order to weaponize our race against other people of color. Um, like, you know, if, if the Asians can do it, then, like, obviously there's something wrong with all of you melanated people. Um, but the second day, um, the second day, I, I just remember breaking down. It was, like, the day that all the feelings um, kind of burst through. Mm-hmm. And now I think I'm just kind of like sorting through those and learning how to articulate Mm -hmm. them. Um, Yesterday, my main thought that I kind of meditated on, um, I had a friend who is uh, Taiwanese and his mom shared with him this really beautiful thing. Like when someone is dying, you should kind of like talk to them sweetly um and reassuringly like you did your Mm. best it's okay like you know you can go um and i just thought like 
these people, they didn't have the opportunity to have that moment with their family. They didn't get to say goodbye to their loved ones. They just walked out the door to go to the spa and they never came back home. Um, and it's just, it's so heartbreaking. Um, cause you know, I've received so much fetishization for being Asian and even hate. Um, not long ago I got stalked through a convenience store no by someone who recognized me as Asian. And, um, when I lost him, he waited for me by the exit. Oh God. And as I, yeah, as I walked out, um, yeah, and I was just in flight mode. I was like, don't make eye contact. Just walk fast, fast. Uh, he chased me out and yelled after me, interesting eyes. And a lot of people I think would be like, oh, well, that's, that doesn't mean that. And it's like, no, <laughs> the way he said it, he was angry. Mm. He was threatening. And, and he was very much saying like, you're Asian, you are suspect, and you are not welcome here. Um, and this is a store that I go to every wow. week. Yeah. Um, so if me being mixed um, gets that, you know, what about my mom, my uncles, my great aunts? Um, and I feel like there's a new video every day mm. of someone's auntie, uncle, granny, grandpa being harassed. And it's just like, especially on the elderly, yeah, why? Exactly, exactly. Um, one of my one of my friends, her grandma, shared a story with her um, about you know these these kids making fun of her and I think throwing things at her, and she said like I think they didn't think I understood English, so mm. I don't know if it's like that. And that's another thing, like, people who not only look more stereotypically Asian than I do, um, but people who have accents or, you know, maybe aren't entirely fluent in English, like, those people also face more discrimination. Mm. Um, so I'm just, like, it's so scary. I'm so scared for not just the people I love, but, like, the people in the greater AAPI community. Um, so yeah, still something I'm, I'm processing. Yeah. You know, um, you know, thanks for sharing that and, uh, and talking, I guess, through your, uh, emotions and how the last couple of uh, days have been for you actually. Um, yeah, I didn't want to end on a heavy note. So, uh, like, can I see your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. So these are the ones that I use most often because they're very versatile. Um, for any Harry Potter fans, these are Godric Gryffindor swords. They're just souvenir swords. Um, they're really good for stacking, which is why I love so, like, them. How um, many can I you put in at once? So far, three. Why um, would you do that, Crystal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted a sandwich. 
<laughs> a sword sandwich. Oh my god, that's like oh no no no. Okay, and how long how long is a sword? Um, so let's see, these are different lengths because it looks prettier. Um, I think the shorter one is 18 inches and the longer one, I think that's maybe 22. Oh my God. <laughs> and you take it all the way to the hilt, right? Yeah, because yes. that's, you, yes, that's yes, what yes. you did and then, and then Cody pulled it out. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see the video of him reacting yeah, to that? Yeah, it was like... <laughs> oh, he was like, uh, what did he say? Um, oh, I forget, but it was really cute because you're like watching this tough wrestler guy and he was like very concerned for me and like unsettled and he was like, uh, she's okay. I never want to do it again. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, this this is one of my other swords. It's a saber. Um, so you can see it's slightly bent, ever so slightly. Mm. Um, and it's a little thicker than this one. I think this is the shortest sword that I own, though. It's only 16 inches, which is the bare is minimum, not short I believe, to at this point. put up your throat. I'm sorry. Like, 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 I, I mean, I've... Just a finger touching my throat, I'm like, oh my God, something wants to come out, right? And you're sticking it all right. the way in, 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 I can't, I can't even <laughs> wrap my mind around it. Yeah. Yeah, and you actually, you have multiple gag reflexes. <laughs> it's not just the one at the back of your throat. There are more through your esophagus. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so this one actually has a fun story. Yeah. Um, well, first, this, my friend from my old office job that I was talking about, Chit and Jeev, he bought this for mm. me before I left. And um, so this one... I was working with the sword at a gig that I really shouldn't have taken because it wasn't worth it. Um, it was like an eight-hour day of walking around and doing various sideshow acts, not on a stage, in a crowd. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, in oh, yeah. about before seven... COVID. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was before yeah. COVID. <laughs> um, this is probably like 2016 okay. or so. And... Um, I stationed myself outside of some, like, the theater doors, um, and I was swallowing the sword, and I mentioned there's a slight curve, and for me, the only way that I can comfortably swallow this is with the curve to the left. Um, I got a little tired and wasn't paying attention, I put it down with the curve to the right, um, and when it didn't go, I like pulled it out a little and it still wasn't. So I was like, well, maybe if I just give it a gentle nudge and, um, I ended up probably <laughs> perforating my esophagus. No. Um, there was blood. Oh. Yeah. I did not go to the hospital. Why not? Um, 
Well, <laughs> it, it didn't seem that bad. Um, so what it felt like, I mean, there was, there was a sharp pain, which is the point at which I was like, mm, this is bad. Um, and it felt like when you are eating dry food and your, your muscles are just like pulling, pulling, pulling. Um, but with an air bubble instead of food. It was very uncomfortable. I, um, I, what I did do was I talked to one of my friends who is a doctor. I was like, hey, I did this thing. I felt these things. Is this bad? And, and he was like, well, I mean, I feel like, I feel like if you punctured it, then like you would probably know but like maybe just keep an eye on it and um if it gets worse definitely go to the hospital uh i i probably should have oh my god but it it did get better but it was like almost a whole week of that really uncomfortable feeling and like sharp pain do you swallow it or i do <laughs> and she's like <laughs> okay okay yeah um i mean you know i i understand like now with covid things are kind of slow but hopefully you know the vaccine is really rolling out and things that you know open up because it would be nice to actually have you perform in front of a crowd again um and yes. i'm also really really grateful having you come on the show and sharing so much you know especially you know like really um personal feelings about what happened in atlanta um so for that i'm super grateful thank you so much but like yeah we should do this again and i know I, I was wondering i guess i, I want to take out the show with uh, you know, some clips of you just doing what you do, like back when life was normal. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you.